In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who came as a human to this world in order to experience death so that we may experience life with all those who have lived and have not rejected his salvation. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you probably know the term devil's advocate. In fact, uh, there was an interesting movie by that title not too long ago. Um, uh, actually, a part of that was filmed right here in uh, Florida, in, in Gainesville. Um, uh, but that's beside the point. Uh, you, you, you kind of get the, the sense of what I'm saying when I say devil's advocate. It's usually someone who takes a position that may or may not be their own but who takes that position for the express purpose of making sure that what is being said by the rest of the crowd is actually honest, is actually true. And so what a devil's advocate does is if everybody is saying, hey, I think the sky is blue, a devil's advocate comes in and says, but what if you're seeing that wrongly and what if that color is actually red? And that's the job of the devil's advocate, to push you into those questions about what you believe, what you think is right, the direction that you think that you're going into. Now, what you may not know about being a devil's advocate is that it actually has a history, that that term, and that history is actually connected to the Roman Catholic practice of the canonization of saints, So the canonization of saints is this big, long process that takes several years. And what they do is if they think that somebody is going to be a saint in their very narrow construction of what a saint means, that they have to pass a, well, certain amount of tests. You know, it's, it's sort of like, um, it's like a reality TV show uh, in heaven, uh, you know, some people get kicked off the island and, and uh, some people get to stay. And, and they, there's this list of things that you, you, you kind of have to go through. And one of those things is a sort of court case in which there is this person who is called the promoter of the faith. Now, the person who is the promoter of the faith is a canon lawyer. And so uh, this is uh, somebody that, well, only Roman Catholics have. He's a canon lawyer. So basically, he is a church lawyer. Now, we have a lot of lawyers in this church, but we don't have a lot of church lawyers. A lot of people that say, well, uh, we're going to try this church case. We, We just don't really get into that. But the Roman Catholic Church, because of all of its intricacies and, um, uh, you know, um, uh, all of thousands of years of doctrine, of um, uh, putting things together that the, that church believes, they need somebody like a canon lawyer to say, okay, well, these are the rules that we've, well, kind of sort of put together. And so the canon lawyer's job, the promoter of the faith's job, is actually to say, in this case of canonization, where they're trying to figure out if somebody has checked off all of the boxes for sainthood, this person's job is to be sort of the prosecuting attorney in the midst of that process. To say, well, 
are you sure? Are you sure that this happened? Like one of the things that you have to have in order to be canonized a saint today is that you have to have two verifiable miracles that happen after you're dead. Now, how that happens, I don't know. But the canon lawyer's job is to say, is that really a verifiable miracle? And so they have to do the investigation and, and all sorts of things. That promoter of the faith, his nickname is the devil's advocate. And has been his nickname for quite a while. His real title is promoter of the faith. But his nickname is Devil's Advocate, which is, you know, kind of a a weird juxtaposition of terms. We wouldn't necessarily put those things together by ourselves. We go, Devil's Advocate. And then, promoter of the faith. Promoter of the faith, you would think, would be somebody who would be, well, promoting. But his job is to promote the faith. And that's a little different than promoting the person, isn't it? So he's saying, okay, are all the rules being fulfilled? I'm promoting the faith. But I'm the devil's advocate to the person. And so often that's our experience of what it's like to be a Christian. We don't really, as Lutherans, feel like we need a devil's advocate for all sorts of reasons. But one of those reasons is we don't think that he needs much help. You know, uh, I, I don't, the devil is doing fine on his own. He doesn't need my advocacy. He is able to do some pretty nasty stuff. He's able to tempt me into some things. He is able to point out the things that I have already done wrong and make me feel ashamed and guilty of them. The devil is a guy who doesn't need help. I need help. I need a promoter. I need somebody who is going to say, this is the faith that we believe in. This is who you are. And in our Lutheran understanding of what makes a saint, the question that we asked you a little bit earlier, the thing that makes you a saint is not if you've done you know, two miracles since your death, or 15 before you were alive, or you know, how many different prayers you said while you were here. But the thing that makes you a saint is Jesus. The thing that makes you a saint is that Jesus died on a cross, taking your death upon himself, so that when you die, you will raise again out of a tomb like he did. So that your stories merged together as one. So that since he died and rose again, now when you die, you rise again. And that's the good news. That's the gospel, especially today on All Saints. A day when we remember those who have gone before us. Those people who have believed in Christ. Those people whose faith we can think of. But those people who also, on this side of their lives, were sinners. People who were tempted by the devil. People who were outed 
by the devil. People who said, yes, I am not a saint. I need a savior. People like you and I. Because when it comes right down to it, when you and I look at our lives, we're able, usually pretty quickly, to notice those things that would disqualify us from the kingdom of God. We're able to note those moments where we have sinned. We're able to note those moments where we have fallen short. We're able to note those moments that the devil would gladly prosecute us for. And would gladly send us to an eternal prison for. If it weren't for Jesus. Which gets into this interesting gospel reading we have, right? The Beatitudes. One of those Bible readings that, well, maybe we don't really listen to, right? It's sort of like when Psalm 23 comes up, or Isaiah 9, or something else that you feel like you know really well. That you're like, oh, that's pretty, I'm just going to listen to the words. I'm not even going to bother with the concepts, I just like the words. There's a lot of those Bible verses that I think we're like, I'm done processing that. I just want that to be something that gives me comfort, right? And I think the Beatitudes is one of those, where we go, okay, yeah, so some, some people are blessed, but they're also kind of not blessed, right? Yeah, we, we have this list. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, they're blessed, but they're not. Blessed are those who mourn. They're blessed because he says they're blessed, but, well, they're mourning. Blessed are the, are the meek. Well, okay, we kind of give the meek a pass. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're hungry and they're thirsty for righteousness, but still hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the merciful who have chosen not to take the judgment that is rightfully theirs. So I don't know that we really call that blessed, at least when we get right down to it. Blessed are the pure in heart, the people who have pushed themselves away from those sins and those hedonisms that are so easy to fall into. Blessed are the peacemakers, the people that have chosen to create peace, which is a hard, hard process. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And blessed are you when people revile you. So they've got this kind of connection of blessedness and yet sort of not blessedness. A connection of these things where we go, okay, is that, can I really say that it is blessed for me when I mourn? When something horrible has happened in my life? When 11 people are shot and killed in Philadelphia. When seven people are shot here in Tallahassee and two of them are killed. Can we really say that we are blessed because we're able to mourn their loss? 
We can. But in a sort of backwards construction. You see, what, what it says about mourning, it, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, as Christians, as people that live in this weird sort of out-of-time reality where we're sort of kind of experiencing the resurrection, we're experiencing the Holy Spirit in our lives before Jesus comes back, we're experiencing a part of what it means to be the kingdom of God right now. We're living in this out-of-time experience where we actually have been comforted. That our comfort comes from the fact that I told you that your sins are forgiven. And that because of that, you know that your sins are forgiven. That you're living in a state when they're forgiven that is like the resurrection. That you are comforted now. And because you're comforted now, you can walk into a world that is mourning. And that mourning isn't going to hurt you because you've been comforted. And so you can mourn with those who mourn. You can be poor in spirit with those who are poor in spirit alongside of you. You can be persecuted with those who are persecuted. You can be all of those things for all of the people around you because you already are connected to the resurrection. You are already connected to heaven. You are already connected to Christ. And as you believe that firmly, as you take that faith more and more into yourself, as you believe it more and more, you will be able to mourn more and more. You will be able to be persecuted more and more because you will experience more of your out-of-time reality than your in-time reality. You will be connected with the stories of the people whose names we will say in these prayers in just a little while. Who experience that fully. Who experience rest from mourning. Who experience being sons and children of God. Who experience purely all of the blessings that God has for them. And we will be able to draw strength from their stories, not because of who they are, not because of what their stories are, but because of the story that stands behind every one of their stories, a story of a Savior who came to take flesh and blood in our world And to refuse to be comforted so that he could mourn with people. To refuse to be filled up with righteousness, but rather empty out his own righteousness. To take upon persecution in himself so that he could stand with the persecuted. His story is our story. And every faithful step towards the cross and toward our own death that we make is a step in which his story and our story 
are merged even more. So now, brothers and sisters in Christ, as you exit this building, as you go out into this world that is mourning, that needs comforting, into this world that needs, that needs someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, may you go out knowing that you have it all already and that you can share it with your neighbor. Amen.